I really think it's amazing that we can gather together as a church family, knowing that we're in many different time zones of the world, but yet we can gather together online, study the Word of God together, and even take communion together. Isn't this amazing that as we meet here, that the body of Christ, many from other countries, we even join together in the name of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus said where two or three or more of you, of course, are gathered together in my name, I'm there in your midst. And so we are gathering together to have church on the internet. I believe that God will meet your needs abundantly, abundantly according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Praise God. I would like for you to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and look at verse 30. Uh, I want to read three verses, and I want us to receive the tithes and offerings and bring them into the storehouse of God. And I believe that God will help you with the one particular verse that I'm about to share with you. It could even be a, a, a turnaround verse, uh, a, a verse that triggers turnaround in a very beautiful way in your finances. So please uh, follow along with me. First Kings 18 verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is the time of the confrontation of Elijah with the false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth who were represented by Jezebel. Of course, Jezebel's not there, but her representatives are. They're meeting on Mount Carmel to, in a sense, find out who the true God really is. And the altar of the Lord was broken down. We never want our altar unto the Lord, our commitment, our sacrifice, our service unto the Lord to ever be in a place of disrepair. Verse 31, and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Now verse 33. And as I read verse 33 to you coming up next, I want you to know that there's nothing in the Bible that's irrelevant information. It's not like God said, you know, the book's too small. Let's just add a lot of fluff in here so that it, it takes a long time to read it. No, everything in the Word of God, every word, every, everything recorded is of eternal value, and it is for the edification, the building up of your faith, and also for the expansion of your knowledge in God and in His ways of which He operates. Verse 33, and he, that would be Elijah, he put the wood in order. Wow. Well, they are rebuilding the altar, getting everything ready. And of course, Elijah is going to pray a prayer and fire is going to come down from heaven. Uh, an amazing epic event, one of those high water marks in the history of Israel in the sense where there is another revival. This would have been a, a sense of a national revival that really happened in a moment of time. In one day, suddenly the heart of Israel is turned back to the Lord. Thank God for revival. Thank God for moves of the spirit. But notice he put the wood in order. And if he had not put the wood in order, the fire would not have fallen. 
I've talked about this before. I even preached the message on this before, but I felt led to talk about this today. I know that for many of you, you're right in the midst of tax season. Maybe you have filed your taxes. Maybe you're in the process of filing your taxes. Maybe you haven't done it yet and you need to do it soon. Nevertheless, there is a putting in order of the wood. The fire of God will not fall on wood that's on the altar that's out of order. Praise God. That's why it says in the Bible that Elijah put the wood in order. Even the cutting of the bull in pieces, he laid it on the wood. Everything's got to be done just the right way. You need to also understand that the fire of God won't fall on your finances that are out of order. Now, this is not a destructive fire. This is a blessing fire. This is a cleansing fire. This is a purging fire. But the fire of God, the blessing, the touch of God won't come on your finances that are out of order. In other words, if you have a mess with your finances and you make $30,000 a year and you have a mess with your finances, but you're believing God for more, well, you will only have a larger mess because if you, if you have a, if you have problems and confusion and all kinds of difficulties for $30,000 a year, well, then how could you go to $3 million a year and somehow expect that just more money just somehow automatically fixes a mess? It doesn't. A small mess, if a person governs over a small mess, the same person will also begin to govern with more money and will turn that into a larger mess. Mm. Oh no, Pastor Stephen, if I had more money, it would fix everything. No, it doesn't work like that. That is a deception. That's a wrong way of thinking. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You have to be able to put the wood in order that you have now on the altar of sacrifice. Praise the Lord. Let me give you an example. This, uh, this is what I hear sometime from a pastor's perspective. This is what I get through the emails and and sometimes people talking to me about their situations. Pastor Stephen, I don't have enough money. That's why I have these problems. Uh, that's why things are out of order uh, with my finances, because I don't have enough money. But actually, if careful observation is made, if time were allowed for me to look into every case, and I, I can't do that, I don't have time. But what I have noticed in those times where I have had a little freedom to look in and try to help, you realize that the person is actually making enough money, but it's wrong management, mismanagement of the money. So the person thinks, I don't have enough money. I'm not making enough money. Where in reality, they are mismanaging the money they have. And if they stewarded it properly and managed it properly, they would have money actually left over at the end of the paycheck, at the end of the two-week pay period, or after the end of the month. They could even put some in the savings. But what's wrong? The wood's out of order. And, and then there's frustration. Why won't the fire of God fall? Why won't the blessing of God come in? Because if God blessed you with more, uh, you, would, you would mess that up also. I, I know that many people think they wouldn't, but that's exactly what would take place. So here's what we need to do. We need to put the financial wood in order. And so 
people delay on that. Here's one of the biggest delays that I receive through emails and, and things coming into the ministry where uh, people have their own idea of how they're going to put it in order as compared to God's idea. So here's, here's the, one of the number one things I get. Pastor Stephen, I'll tithe. I'll send the tithe into the storehouse just as soon as I have enough money. I, I need to, I need to break in on your, your thought life. I need to break in on that mentality and let you know right now, you'll never have enough money. And by the way, that's the reason why you don't have enough money. That's why that that's why you're in the situation that you're in because until you start tithing, things will always be tight. You'll always just, you're never going to have this, this place where you're this breathing room that you're looking for. Why? Because your wood's out of order. <laughs> Look, all you have to do is fix the wood, put the wood in order. You've already got an altar. Your heart is the altar. Your life is the altar. You give, you give your life as a sacrifice unto the Lord. You've given your heart to God. You love the Lord. You're going to go to heaven. You're good to go on, on salvation. But these other areas of blessing that you want to break into so that your life goes beyond just your own needs, but you can touch others and bless others. And so that you can also have your own needs met and you can have blessing in your life. You know what? All you have to do is put the wood in order. And it begins with this. It begins with the tithe. Pastor Stephen, I don't have enough money to tithe. That, that's why. Because you're not tithing. Why? Wood's out of order. Put the wood in order. And the fire, the blessing, in other words, the response from God, a response out of heaven that's visibly manifested will be seen in your life. Number one, tithe. You must be a tither. And if you're not going to tithe, you'll always have confusion in your finances because the Lord may be Lord over your life as, as savior, but he's not Lord over your finances. And there's a big difference. Praise the Lord. So number one, you need to tithe. That's the first thing you need to do to put your finances in order. Number two, there needs to be times when you sow seed. You need to sow seed when there's special projects. And uh, so many of you have been marvelous on that. When we have these special projects, such as raising uh, finances for uh, media equipment or things like that, or other ministry needs, I tell you what, you guys have knocked the ball out of the park. And so that's what sowing seed is, is saying the tithe belongs to the Lord, and I'm going to send it into the storehouse. But when there's special opportunities to sow seed, when the Holy Spirit is giving me these Oper divine, these divine opportunities, I'm going to respond to that. Praise the Lord. And then next, after you've tithed and after you've sown some seed, then you can pay your bills. Just go ahead and start knocking them all out. Praise God. And then after that, the fourth thing that you can do is live on the rest that you have. And you'll find that out of living on the rest that you have, such as buying groceries, uh, putting gas in the car, they'll even be, they'll be, they'll, God will make sure there's even some in there for your savings. That needs to be in the equation of your life. Praise the Lord. So tithe, sow seed, pay your bills and live on the rest. And the rest that God will supply you to live on, they'll even be the ability for you to take some of that that out and put it in savings. Who knows? God can begin to bless you so much. You might even be able to put 10% towards savings, uh, 20% towards savings that, that can vary depending on, uh, you know, various conditions and so forth. But my friends, I'm telling you what, 
if you'll put the wood in order, if you'll put the finances in order, you'll see a response come down out of heaven and touch your life. And all it takes is for you to do that. You put the wood in order, put God first, and the next thing you know, you can be in that surplus. You can be in that abundance mode. Hallelujah. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I'm praying for your people right now that that this be a time of the year where we analyze our finances. We, we look at things. We file our taxes. Father, I pray that this be a time where your people put their finances in order and they make a determination that they will be a tither always, that they'll always honor you with their finances, that you will be Lord over their finances, not their own planning, not their own ideologies, not their own idea of what order is, but through a biblical understanding of the way that you operate, which will exempt them from the hardships of a fallen world system which will exempt them from lack and all the, the, the problems of the curse that plague the earth. They will always be in a place of stability and security with their finances and in a place of growth and blessing. Father, I thank you that as I'm talking to your people, I sense that many of them, they make enough. There's enough coming in, but the reason they are having struggles is because the woods out of order. Father, now help them by your Holy Spirit to see things that can be done to get everything in order. And as they do, you will reward them with the blessing coming down and the the expansion in their finances that they have been desiring, that they have righteously been desiring. Now, Father, we thank you for this. Show your people, help your people to put their finances in biblical, divine order let all confusion, let all unanswered questions be removed out of their finances. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, as you said in your word, that we are to be, as you said in the book of Proverbs, we are to be diligent and to watch over our flocks, that the righteous man has to be diligent. He has to know what's going on in his accounts. So I pray, Father, that your people be diligent and putting their financial wood in order. And we thank you that the peace, that the peace that will come forth from this and the blessing that comes forth from this will put us in a position of great strength and blessing. Now, Father, bless your people, financial order in their lives, peace and prosperity in Jesus name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now let us also be hearers and doers, and let us now bring in the tithes and offerings into the storehouse of the Lord. If you would like to mail them in, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 3456, Mooresville, North Carolina. The zip code is 28117. If you would like to bring them in online, you can do so anytime, day or night. Please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There is a link on the homepage, and you can go there now and bring your tithes and offerings in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Father, I thank you that the fire is going to fall. I thank you for financial revival. Father, that when the fire fell, after the prayer of Elijah, after he had put things in order, we thank you that there was national revival. Father, I thank you for financial revival 
in the lives of your people. They're going to feel so good when they go to sleep at night because everything's in order. There will be money in your savings. Oh, you're going to have multiple savings accounts. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It is time for exponential growth in your finances. Shout yes. Praise the Lord forever. You are blessed. Amen. Now let's go today to the book of first Chronicles chapter 10. And we want to talk about your house, not necessarily perhaps the house physically that you live in, but the house of your life, the house of your mind, the house of your body, the house of your sphere of influence, and how that your house belongs to you and you have authority over it, and you need to take dominion over your house. Praise the Lord. I think this is going to be a fascinating study because those old Philistines, my goodness, they gave Israel such a difficult time. Well, the Philistines, although that would be, you know, ancient history, they still, they still have a way of popping up even today through spiritual challenges. We want to talk about this today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate these verses and that your word be alive to us, that we can see it and walk in the light of it and enjoy the victory that it produces. Now we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, and we all say today, Amen. Praise God. Let's start in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan. Oh, that's too bad. I always thought that Jonathan should have gone over and have, uh, he should have joined David. I don't know why he didn't do that. I mean, he's loyal to David. He's even pledged an oath to David to serve him when David becomes king. And so I don't know why he didn't make the leap. Perhaps there was a little bit of a, um, uh, of a holdback from the perspective of my dad's king. And of course his father being Saul, my dad's the king. And you know, I don't really know if this is going to work out for David. I think it is, but you know, maybe I can try to play both sides of the fence. Well, that if that's what he was doing, it didn't turn out good. I think he should have joined David and should have stood with David and gotten behind David in person, but he didn't do that. So here he is now lying dead and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. That phrase, come and abuse me, could be translated that they come and they take me and they toy with me. That's in a sense also what happened to Samson when they had captured him and they made sport of him. And he's just like a toy for them to play around with and, uh, you know, make him look like a fool and things like that. Well, nevertheless, this is not a good bailout reason for Saul. 
I believe he should have stood and he should have fought to the very end, but he did not. He said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And you can understand why the armor bearer would not want to do that, because this is God's anointed. This is the king, and he doesn't want to kill him. So uh, we have this statement. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Well, that's the easy way out, but that's also the cowardly way out. But unfortunately, Saul wasn't the person who was going to win the war for nobility and bravery and for the one who would stand in front of the people of Israel as an emblem of courage and, and strength. Now, David had that. The, the, David had some challenges later in life that uh, perhaps rattled him for a moment, but he could quickly pull himself together. And he, uh, you know, before the public, he didn't have these, these breakdowns like this. But Saul, here Saul is, committing suicide in a sense. We don't know how bad he was wounded. Could have just been a few arrows through the legs. Maybe he could have survived. Who knows? But nevertheless, he kills himself by falling on a sword. Verse 5, and when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. Did you ever notice that fear is contagious? That if you have people following you and you fall apart, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing that you do. And it's very important to not get over into fear, but to stay in faith. Why? Because faith is also highly contagious. And when you get around strong leadership, people that are rock solid in the word of God, who are confident in the word, confident in God, that spreads. And we see that with David that the spirit of faith that was on David got on his leaders and it got on the, the men that were known as the three mighty men who did some crazy exploits. I, I mean, we know that Samson did some stuff, but if you read about these men in some ways, they were just a hair's breadth beneath him doing tremendous exploits. How did that happen? Because they saw David doing, uh, doing these things. And if you see somebody else doing exploits of faith, what does that do for you? It says, well, if that person did it, I can, I can ride their coattails and I can break through also. And it will ignite your faith. They'll go out perhaps in a different direction and do something different on behalf of uh, your calling, your assignment in life, whether it's business, ministry, medical, science, teaching, or whatever it might be, and you go and you break through. Why? Because somebody else broke through and it inspired you. Same spirit of faith jumped on you, got on you like Joshua and Caleb. We can take the land. Matter of fact, let's go up now and take the land. Let's stop this silly conversation. Let's call off the talk of the doubting and the pouting and let's go now because the more we talk negative, the further down we're going to sink. So they said, let's go up now and take it. So there is a spirit of faith, and that's what good leadership inspires. Even from a national level, if you have strong leaders, that will affect the nation. It will affect the economy of the nation. Praise God. We thank God for our president, President Trump, who's doing a good job. Please keep 
praying for him as believers around the country are lifting him up so that this nation may experience peace, prosperity, and be a platform for the global propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! That's America's heritage. That's America's calling. That's a key assignment of this nation as a sheep nation, not a goat nation, but as a sheep nation is to be a driving force of prosperity and strength to send the gospel to all the nations of the earth. You know, out of the hundreds of nations that there are, uh, well over 200 nations, if you look at the financial uh, GDP, gross domestic product of the different nations, number one in the world is the USA. You'll have a number two coming in, but, but, but there's a big gap between number one and number two with GDP. Number two being China. And then number three and four and five, you look at the top 10 countries, uh, you see tremendous wealth, but there's nobody else like number one, like America. And even on the other, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, as they begin to go down, there's, there's a, a, a large, large discrepancy in wealth. But really when it comes to sheep nations and goat nations, you've got like You've got like 150 countries that could go either way. That could go either way. Now that's, that's our, our, our assignment is let's be influencers of these other nations. Some of them are less developed. Some of them are in many ways undeveloped, but let's be influencers of these nations with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's be people that, that thank nations not, not just like, Hey, me and my little locality here. No, let's be nation thinkers. Let's influence some of these nations. Some of them that, that you may not even know the names of, but you might want to learn them and begin to pray for them and to begin to sow the gospel into those nations so that they can become sheep nations instead of goat nations. Hmm. Woo. A sheep nation primarily has a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ and will stand with Israel. Woo. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Any nation that hates Israel is a goat nation. So we want to be a sheep nation and a spreader of that grace of that anointing. And when you do that, there will be an, uh, a beautiful reward waiting for you in glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Strong leadership, strong leadership sends out faith. What causes tremors in the stock market? Fear, fear, fear of change, fear of this, fear of war, fear of what Iran might do, uh, fear of how North Korea might retaliate or react or this or that. But strong leadership, which we're seeing in this administration, produces great prosperity and produces great leaders. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now let's continue on. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell in his sword and died. We do not want that spirit. No, we'll stand to the end. We'll stand to the end. You have to have a spirit that will fight. And I, you can be a sweet person. You can, you can, uh, pick up tulips and you can, you can help, uh, you know, elderly citizens get across the street. You can buy the Girl Scout 
cookies and you, you can do nice things and you can be the sweetest person. You can play the flute, but you know what? There also has to be a boldness that at times, at times where you have to dig in your heels, you say, you know what? Right is still right and wrong is still wrong. And I'm taking a stand on certain issues and I'm not backing down. Praise the Lord. Verse six. So Saul and his three sons died and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, what did they do? They ran same spirit of fear that was on Saul got on his leaders. They ran. Then the same spirit of fear that's on them jumped on all the, uh, the, uh, the citizens. What did they do? They ran. They were in such fear. Look what they did. They forsook their cities and fled. They abandoned entire cities, houses, swimming pools, cars, bank accounts, money, clothes in the closet. They left all of it and ran off in terror and fear. What did the devil do? What did the Philistines do? Did they say, oh, we didn't mean to scare them so bad. We're going to make sure that we don't touch their stuff because it belongs to them. No. Is that what the devil did? No. Look what the devil did. Look what the Philistines did. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. All that work, all that effort of building that house, and you run away and leave it because of fear. And now the enemy of Israel is living in your house. No, not in somebody else's, in your house. What rightfully belongs to you, you have abdicated. And now the enemy, who is not passive, has come in and is now actually residing in a place that legally and rightfully, because of your place in Christ, is yours. Wow. Oh, my friends, the, we have to understand, though, that Saul is passing off the scene, that a new king is soon to come forth, and this will be King David. Wow. Praise God. And King David did not take it easy on the Philistines. King David was not afraid of the Philistines. And King David said, what's ours is ours. And we're going to defend it. And not only are we going to defend what's ours, we're going to take some territory. We're going to take Jerusalem. We're going to take it from the Jebusites. And David liked it so much, he made it the eternal capital of the nation of Israel. And God had told David, God had told his forefathers, the land is yours, go up and take it. And many of them did, praise God. I know today in the political culture of the Middle East and um, amongst the American culture today with the liberal media, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation about who Jerusalem really belongs to. Well, if you want to find out, who Jerusalem really belongs to, just read the next chapter. And it'll tell you who Jerusalem belongs to for all time. Praise God. But the land of Israel, God gave to the Jews. It's theirs. It always will be. And, and remember, if you agree with God, you're, you're always right. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> oh, glory. Hallelujah. 
If you give up what rightfully belongs to you, the enemy will move in and he'll actually take it for himself. See, the thing is, is that you should be plundering the enemy's camp and his territory, not he plundering yours and taking away your promised blessings. That's what I like about David. David put an end to this bullying of the Philistines. And he put an end to that, and he started not only holding the ground they already had, he starts to expand. And that's why you'll see him in the, his early kingship anointing. You see him taking Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Praise God. Glory to God. That's plundering the enemy's camp. Trespassing is a violation of the law. To trespass means to enter someone's land or property without the owner's permission. You have to be willing to defend what is rightfully yours. You have to watch out for spiritual trespassing. Praise the Lord. Did you know that the devil only respects the rights that you are willing to enforce? I need to say that one more time. Let that go into your spirit today. The devil only respects the rights that you are willing to enforce. There are some things you don't need to pray about. Like, like what, Pastor Stephen? I thought we had to pray about everything. No, there's some things you don't need to pray about. If somebody comes to you and says, I've got a demon problem, and there's an evil spirit in me, and I don't know what to do about this, but maybe you can help me. Can you cast it out? Well, as a child of God, you need to be able to say, yes, if you've got a demon problem, I have authority in Christ. I can deal with this. Okay? So here's what some Christians do, and they get no results. They start praying, oh, Lord, deliver this person from the devil. Oh, Jesus, move now by your power and drive the spirit out. And you pray, and you pray for an hour, two hours. And then after you've wore yourself out, the person is still, is still possessed with the evil spirit. Why? Because what you have authority over, you do not need to pray about. You need to use the authority. In other words, instead of praying, Jesus, do something about it, don't do that. Come over here and say, in the name of Jesus, I have authority over you, and devil, out you go. Do you see the difference? There's a difference there. And so don't waste your time, your energy, on something you already have the authority to do. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The devil only respects the rights that you are willing to enforce. Hallelujah. If you are not willing to defend your rights, then the devil will come in. It's not that he might come in or maybe he will. No, he will come in. And if you let him, he'll walk all over you. So you have to be willing to defend your house. See, it says they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Wow. See, it's supposed to be the other way around. God said, go up and possess the land. I've given it to you and go up and possess it. 
They, they, they the enemy, they're going to have built houses and vineyards and all of this stuff. You go take it. You go take it. God said, those people have no covenant with me. These people practice abominations. They must be driven out. The Lord said they are so filthy that the land vomits them out. Now, we are looking at these stories through the filter of the lens of the New Testament perspective. So we want to look at this with the New Testament theology. We're not trying to drive out literal people today. More so, we're dealing with spiritual issues, the powers of darkness that tried to make it difficult for us to walk in a blessed home, in a blessed life. Praise the Lord. The devil will move into your house if you let him. You need to take back your house. You need to repossess what is rightfully yours and dispossess the devil. Praise God. For example, it says they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Let's talk about an example from a New Testament perspective. Many of you, you have lost your health. Sickness and disease has come in and has dispossessed your peace. And now, even perhaps while you're watching me, there's actually pain in your body, in your house, the house of your physical body. You're sitting there in pain. Hmm. Well, Pastor Stephen, what should I do about that? Drive the enemy out. Sickness and disease is not your friend. <laughs> it's not from God. It's from the devil. What should I do, Pastor Stephen? Drive it out because it doesn't belong there. It's trespassing. It does not have a legal right. It's in violation by being there in your body. And so you have the authority to drive it out. Praise God. Glory to God. Claim the healing promises of God. Yes. Claim the healing promises of God. Believe them. Stand on them. And use them against the attack against your body. Combine your faith of God's word and God's promises of healing and of wholeness in your body. Combine that with exercise. Praise the Lord. Yes, do that. You know what? You need to be very, very aware of the dangers of the American culture. Mm. Praise the Lord. You can have people move here to America from Asia. They have no heart problems. But after they've been in America for about seven or eight years, suddenly they're showing signs of heart disease. You can have people move here from other countries like uh, Kenya. Well, I, I had a, uh, one of my church members once uh, was from Kenya. But you can move from Kenya and you could have uh, lived there in a high altitude area and you're, you're living off the land. You're eating super organic foods. And you can come to America. And if you start eating this American food, watch out. Seven years or eight years down the road. 
it'll start to affect you. And so this, this American culture and the, the, the foods that are in our culture can be very, very dangerous. There was a study that was recently published. It was printed last year in 2017. This was uh, a, a research that was pulled together by four different universities, Oregon State University, the University of Mississippi, and the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga. So that would be three universities, excuse me, not four. But they collaborated together on this research. They published it last year, and their research revealed that 97, wow, get ready for this, 97% of all American adults are unhealthy. They can be classified as unhealthy based on four primary factors. Number one, do you smoke or not? If you smoke, you're already in an unhealthy category. Number two, do you eat a healthy diet? Some do, but some don't. Some are just gulping down the processed processed food and the fried food and things like that. So there's four factors. Do you smoke or not? Do you eat a healthy diet? Number three, do you have a normal body fat percentage? That's the one that what that that one criteria right there is the one that causes most Americans to be in the category of unhealthy. Do you have a normal body fat percentage? Okay. The fourth, the fourth uh, reason for their justification of a healthy life or unhealthy is this. Do you get sufficient amounts of physical activity or do you stare at a computer all day? And you never move. You, you don't even walk. You, you don't do anything. You've, you haven't broken a sweat in three weeks or a month. So based upon these four conditions and having interviewed thousands and thousands of people and gathered this research together, they found out that 97% of all Americans are classified as unhealthy. Now, if you're in that 3% category, you should feel really good, <laughs> right? You're doing really good. But the, I, I'm just saying, my friends, the enemy has moved into the houses of even God's people and has wrecked their house with sickness and disease. And a lot of that is attributed to the American culture, the American lifestyle. Praise the Lord. And it, it, it's, it's not just in what we would call non-churched areas. It's even in the church. You know, years back when I belonged to a certain ministerial association, I remember one day that, uh, you know, as all of us ministers were gathered together, you know, I, I don't know, maybe about 500 of us, the, the leader, the president of the organization said, said that we are looking into, we and the board of directors are looking into an insurance plan so that all of us that belong to this ministerial organization of spirit-filled Pentecostal ministers, that we would have access to good health care, good, good, a good insurance policy. And so, you know, a lot of people were real excited about that. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yes, that would be wonderful to be able to, be able to sign up for a premium insurance plan, get all the perks and benefits, and, uh, you know, make a low payment. That would be great. Well, some, some time went by and it was never brought up again. Months go by, 
half a year goes by, nothing's ever said about it. But I, uh, I knew one of the uh, men on the uh, board of directors who actually ended up becoming the next president. And I went to him in private. I said, hey, um, I'm just curious, whatever happened to the, the insurance plan that you guys were uh, researching in order to, uh, you know, come up with a provider for health insurance for all of us, word preaching, spirit-filled ministers of the gospel. Oh, he said, oh, Stephen, he said, we applied at so many places, but they turned, they, they all turned this down. I said, why? He said, because we're all so sick. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, most of the ministers have health problems, some type of a problem, this or that or the other. And there's so much sickness that nobody will insure us. Wow. 97%. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that's not me. Good. But for, for, for the majority though, this is something that you have to, you have to, you have to face. They forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. They forsook a covenant of health based upon the shed blood of Jesus and sickness and disease came in. Hmm. I think that along with believing the promises of God, we have to walk in the wisdom of God's word and we have to be careful of what we eat. We, we have to be wise about the way that we conduct our lifestyle. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus referenced the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that it suffers violence and the violent take it by force. If you want to walk in health, you're going to have to get serious. You're going to have to get serious about your health. And that, that's not just believing scriptures. That's also making adjustments in your lifestyle. You know, you can be a very sweet person love Jesus, be, all, be on your way to heaven, and be sick the whole time you're on the earth. My grandmother, she's in heaven now. Oh, she loved the Lord. She was known as the spiritual pillar of the entire community of where she lived. And she was a very godly woman. She loved Jesus tremendously. But, you know, anytime you're over at my grandmother's house, anytime you were there, there's always a cake on that table always. There's a cake on the table at lunch. There's a cake on the table at dinner time. And she was a good cook. She had graduated, you know, from a, a culinary institute and she was very good at pies and cakes. And she loved cakes, especially and she could make a serious blackberry pie, but Oh, going into that blackberry pie were cups and cups of sugar going into those cakes were cups of sugar and white bleached flour. And then of course, all the icing on the top and cake every day for lunch, cake every day for dinner. And then even if there are fruit pies, they're loaded with sugar. And so my grandmother loved Jesus and had sugar diabetes. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, I want God to heal me. I got diabetes too. I want the touch of Jesus on my head and in my body. Good. Throw all that junk out. Pastor Stephen, I can't do that. That's part of my life. <laughs> That's a part of my house. 
they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came with all of their, with all of their sugar and all of their goods. They came and dwelt then in them. See, they came, they came and dwelt in those houses and they'll bring their stuff. They'll bring their stuff. So if you want to throw the Philistines out of your house, if you want to get sickness and disease out of your house, combine the powerful word of God and exercise. The least you can do is walk. And in many ways, it's a lot that you can do. Walking is, I believe, still the king of all exercises because you can walk and you can actually pray at the same time, pray in the spirit. You can walk and worship at the same time. You can walk and have fellowship with somebody else while you walk. Wow. If there's nothing else you can do, you can probably walk. And if you can't do that, you could still find something to do. The Holy Spirit will help you. But my friends, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. If you want to drive the sickness and disease, if you want to drive the Philistines out of your house, out of your physical body, don't, don't be surprised if you have to use some violence because the violent take it by force. Praise God. And notice these things, observe these things, observe what comes into your physical temple, observe what you eat. Let the Holy Spirit help you, help you in these areas. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I believe health and vitality is coming back to the body of Christ as we believe the word. Yes. And as we also walk in the wisdom of the word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mm-mm. Drive out the Philistines. Drive out, drive out all that excessive sugar. Oh, I, I like cake, but I don't eat it every day. I like creme brulee, uh, but I don't eat it every day. Maybe once a week. Maybe once a week. I, I do put a little sugar in my coffee, but not heaping, heaping teaspoons or tablespoons. Just, just a little bit. Praise the Lord. Watch out, all these sodas and all this stuff and all this high fructose corn syrup. It's in all kinds of stuff. It's in your ketchup. Well, you know, watch out for these types of things. All these artificial things and dyes and all this man-made stuff. <laughs> Glory. Glory to God. Glory to God. If you want your health back and you want your house back, you can have it, but you're going to have to drive out the Philistines and they won't go easy. You're, you're going to have to really want it. But if you want it and you, you make the application of the word of God and the wisdom of God into your life, they'll start leaving. When they see you're serious, they'll actually start leaving pretty quick. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. You know, there's a lot of things that you can find that can help you just by doing your own research. Anytime you are facing surgery, before you just let a doctor come in and start slicing and probing and cutting and doing all kinds of things on you, you may want to just look and do your own research because there's a lot of things you can do out there just by changing things. As many of you know, my, my father went home to be with the Lord last year, a, a, a wonderful man, read his Bible every day, loved God. Anytime the church doors were open, he's in church. He loved the Lord. But my dad struggled with various sicknesses and diseases. He had to take many um, prescribed medicines and pills every day. And the doctor had told him, if you miss one of these pills, you, you could die. 
You've got to take these every day. And so he was on strong medication. But do you know what the doctor told my father a couple of years back? The same doctor who prescribed all these medications. He was a good doctor. He was a wise doctor. He's not just trying to, you know, treat you so that you can like just keep on going. He, he was wanting to heal you. So he's a good doctor. The doctor actually told my father, if you could just lose 15 pounds, you can come off every single one of these medications. Isn't that amazing? He told my father that if you could just lose 15 pounds, you will be able to come off every one of these um, medications I've got you on. But he never did it. He never did it. And, and that's okay. He's in heaven. He's in heaven now enjoying streets of gold, enjoying the life well lived. But my friends, I'm talking that while you're on this earth, you can have more energy. You can have more strength. You can have more clarity of mind. You can be sharper and more alert and more effective. You can function at a higher level when you're walking in the health that God wants you to walk in. And you have to take it, praise God. Let me say this. I believe that God wants you to have longevity. And I I don't know how long that is. A lot of it does depend on how far you want to go. Praise the Lord. But I believe that God can strengthen you. I'm talking beyond multivitamins and, you know, these pills. I'm I'm talking way beyond something about vitamins and, you know, eating good. I'm just talking about God can strengthen you. He can take you a long ways. He can preserve your heart. If you want to make it to 90, he can take you to 90. If you want to go into the late 90s or you want to go past 100, I believe God can take you there. But you need to believe the Lord for it. And you also need to do your part so that you're not jeopardizing the plan of God by, you know, trying to live off fried food. Glory to the Lord, because that stuff will clog up your arteries. And then people say, oh, Jesus, heal me. Lord, heal me. Well, he can heal me, but he doesn't want to heal you. So you can just turn right back around and clog them all up again. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's time. It's time to drive the Philistines out. If not now, when? Right? Well, Pastor Stephen, I was thinking about doing that next month, making a commitment next month. No, just start now. Start right now. Glory to the Lord. (laughs) You're going to feel a whole lot better. Glory to the Lord. Pastor Stephen, I'd love to go to Israel with you on tour, but I can't. Why? Uh, I'm too sick. I I can't make the trip. I I can't go. Mm, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God's got a lot of good things planned for you. You need to take care of yourself. Praise God. Hallelujah. Drive the Philistines out. The enemy would even try to come into your life and even take over your time. Can you believe he's that audacious? He's that bold and crude that if access is given, he'll even gobble up your time. He'll even rob from you and take up your own devotional time. The house of worship, your devotional life must be something that you guard and protect with the strictest integrity. 
because if you're neutral and you're not alert, he's not passive. He will try to creep in and to try to rob your time, rob your time. The next thing you know, you're not in the word daily. The next thing you know, you're not, you're not, you're not in prayer daily. The next thing you know, you're not even in there weekly. And the next thing you know, you don't even know where your Bible's at because it's been so long since you last looked at it. Praise the Lord. My friends, you must be vigilant. You must say to the Philistines, that's my house. Get out of my house. This is my life. And I will spend time with the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I think we live in a culture today where even amongst church people, time is squandered away with all kinds of silly, silly activities that I believe that many people, many Christians, I'm talking about Christians, that if they don't change, that when they go before the Lord on their day of judgment, they will hang their head in shame and sorrow. Oh, not in shame in the sense that they're dirty or undefiled and not worthy of heaven because we're washed by the blood and we're worthy because we're in Christ. So it's not a matter of righteousness. It's, it's just, there is a judgment of time spent. Could you have spent your time better or did you waste and squander time and sometimes what could even be considered bizarre hobbies? I mean, people talk, I'm talking about Christians. People have some weird things they get caught up in. And they, they delve into that and their spiritual life just goes out. The flame goes out. But my friends, God above all things wants you to have a close walk with him. And just by doing that, your life will be so much smoother and so much richer and so much more beautiful. You're going to make such better choices. You'll have such a high level of peace in your life. You'll be able to hear the voice of God, follow that leading of the, of the Holy Spirit as He's on the inside of you, and you'll be able to make very, very good decisions. Praise the Lord. You know, in many ways, you have to contend for a deep walk with God. It doesn't come easy or automatic for any saint. You have to contend for it. The enemy will try to block it. He will try to disrupt it but you have to be very, very zealous of it. Almost what you would even call like a violent faith where you're like, this is very important to me and I'm not giving this ground up to anybody. This house of worship that I've established will always be, a, will always be burning bright. See, let me say this to young ministers, those desiring to be in the ministry. If you will build the Lord a personal house of worship, he will build your ministry. But if you don't have a personal house of worship, then it will limit you in your effectiveness as a minister because everything comes out of that intimacy with the Lord. So if you build him a house of worship, he'll build you a house of ministry. Praise the Lord. But a house of worship, you got to keep the Philistines out of it. They would try to come into there if they could. After all, they did have a moment when they even took off with the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, they brought it back. Too hot to handle. That's a different story. But my friends, when it comes to your own life, realize many times that the Philistines can be used as spiritual typology of representing the flesh, the flesh nature. Oh, the flesh doesn't want to get up early and pray. Nope. 
The flesh says, don't do that. You, you don't need to be that serious. You don't, you don't need to get out of bed. Just do your praying in bed. Do you ever notice that praying in bed doesn't work? That somehow that, that deep connection that you want to make with God just doesn't work because you fall back to sleep. But when you get up out of bed and you go spend time with the Lord, like Jesus did, Mark 135, he got up early, a great while before the sun ever came up. He got up early and went out to a solitary place to check his emails. Oh no. Ah, the play blackjack and bingo. No, no, no. To pray, to pray, praise the Lord. Get up early, get out of bed. Yes. And go pray establish a house of worship, something that the Philistines will never have access into because you govern it and you control it. They're never getting into your life, into that chamber of worship. Hallelujah. Look at this in the song of Solomon. Praise the Lord. We have Psalms. We have Proverbs. Then you'll move past the little book of Ecclesiastes. And then you will come into the beautiful song of Solomon, which is a prophetic picture of Christ and the church. Song of Solomon chapter 3, look at verse 1. These are the words of the Shulamite woman. By night on my bed I saw the one I love. Now the one she loves would be her husband, also, this is a picture of Christ in the church. This is the believer seeking after Christ. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him where? On the bed. But I did not find him. Verse 2 I will rise now. I will rise now. What does that mean? Get up out of the bed. Pastor Stephen, it's 2 30 in the morning. Yeah, just try it. Give the Lord 30 minutes. Give it, a, give it a try. Then go back to sleep. Get back up at 7. Get ready for work. Start your day. Try it for an hour. Get up at 3.30. You Just work it out with the Holy Spirit. Whatever works best for you. 20 minutes, 30. Just experiment. Have fun with it. There are no rules. This is exploring in the spirit realm. This is, this, this is a journey of knowing God. And it begins by getting out of bed. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. Verse 4, scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go. She never would have found him if she had not gotten up out of that bed. But Pastor Stephen, it feels so comfortable, and, and uh, I know. That's, that's why, remember again, the Philistines are often typified in Scripture as the flesh. Oh, I know it's, it's a real, uh, they're a real people. But remember, Old Testament, you have the types and shadows. New Testament, you have the substance of Christ. You can look back with New Testament theology through the filter of the cross, and you can see prophetic symbolism. Ah, the Philistines, they, they represent the flesh. They would like to come into your house. The flesh would like to rise up and say, you don't need to pray. You're smart enough. You're so smart, you don't need to pray. You'll find how smart you are when, when, when life throws things at you that you can never be prepared for unless you're walking with the Lord. And, and when it happens, it's not the time to learn. It's time 
to get up early. Get out of bed and seek the one that you love. Go seeking for him. Go find your couch, uh, a comfortable place, sofa, uh, where you can sit. Not where you lay down, but where you can sit and begin to seek the Lord. You want some comfort, but not so much that you fall back to sleep. Praise God. Get something hot to drink. Glory to the Lord. And drive the Philistines out of your house of worship. Praise God. They don't belong there. Reclaim. Reclaim what is already rightfully yours. Hallelujah. Say, flesh, I'm getting up. I may not feel like it. And I may not want to from a flesh perspective, but I'm getting up because I'm a man of the spirit. I'm a woman of the spirit and my inheritance and my calling is to pray. I will be up in the morning. Woo. Glory to God seeking the Lord. My friends today, I want you to understand that God wants you to be like David, spirit of faith, not like Saul, fear. And then, the, you know, the Philistines show up and you just abandon what's already yours, what you worked so hard to acquire. Hmm. No, don't ever abdicate anything to the enemy. Don't ever just walk away from it. Hold your place. It's yours. I like the story of Shama, one of David's mighty men, who's out in the middle of a field taking care of some lentils. How about that? He's taking care of his beans. Guess who showed up? The Philistines. They wanted those beans. And see, here's the thing. Shama does all the work, does all the sowing, does all the, the hoeing and all the weeding, takes care of all of them, of all these beans. And now when they're ready for harvest, now when they're ready to be a blessing, well, here comes the Philistines. And that man Shama went into that middle of the field and said, you want my beans over my dead body? Come and take it if you can. And he fought and he killed Philistines all around him. And it, it says it produced a great victory in Israel. He said, you're not getting my beans. It might not mean a lot to somebody else, but these are my beans. In other words, this is my house. This is my walk with God. This is my body. This is my health. And it means something to me. These are my finances. It's important to me. Praise God. You have that same spirit. See, Shama was influenced by David, not by Saul, by David. Faith, faith. We stand. This is our house. Philistines, you're not coming in. And if you have wormed your way in here somewhere, somehow, some way, you might as well start packing. You're leaving now. Mm -mm. Go to work. Drive out the Philistines and possess the rich blessings of God. Father, I pray for your people that a spirit of faith be released over them. I believe they've been, been inspired by your spirit through your word, as well as there's something that they can begin to do to put feet to this message. We give you praise. Thank you, Father, for application of your word in our lives. We thank you for wisdom, the ability to apply the truth to our lives. Thank you, Father, that that application of wisdom unfold now. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. My friends, let's conclude today by taking Holy Communion together. I want to encourage you right now, grab some grape juice and some unleavened bread. Praise the Lord. I want to read a scripture to you from Psalm 139. This will bless you as we prepare to take Holy Communion. This will be Psalm 139, verse 23 
and verse 24. Hallelujah. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We see here that David is saying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, as I have mentioned earlier in our Bible study, you want to look at the Old Testament through the understanding of a New Testament believer, because some things have changed. Be careful with overdoing it on self-introspection. If you start introspecting yourself, looking inwardly too much, you'll start to overjudge and you'll, you'll get critical of yourself. You'll start analyzing every mo- every motive and you try to figure out why you do it, everything and Lord, am I doing this wrong or my motives wrong for doing this? And you, you go too far with things. You'll start focusing on your weaknesses, uh, failures. You'll start to see inadequacies and God doesn't want you to do that. Well, Pastor Stephen, but isn't that what David said? Lord, uh, see if there's any wicked way in me and Lord, search me, O God, and, and, and know my heart. Well, that's Old Testament way of thinking. Look, in the New Testament, it's different. God lives on the inside of you. You have to understand God did not live on the inside of David. So if there were issues that David would not know about, he would need God to point it out to him because there's things he's not picking up on. Why? He wasn't born again. The Holy Spirit did not live in him. The born again experience is, is unique to the New Testament experience. Praise God. In other words, you're born again, right? They didn't have that back then. And thus God did not live in them. So God now lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to be introspective all the time, always looking inward and trying to ponder the deep things of God within you. Well, you want to ponder the things of God, but don't be introspective in the, in the sense where you're always analyzing yourself seeing things perhaps in the negative light. Don't do that. If there's something that you need to know, trust me in your prayer time. If you need to know it, the Holy spirit will bring it up. That is a luxury. David, even the King of Israel never had, but yet you have it because God lives on the inside of you. So if there's something, maybe a harsh word that you spoke to somebody and that needs to be apologized for or corrected. Well, the Holy Spirit will bring that up. Even if you don't know about it, he'll bring it up. So don't spend, don't spend time on really self-introspection or you'll, you'll just be there forever. You know, digging this up, digging that up, digging that up. No, no. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into freedom, lead you into joy. After all, the kingdom of God is very simple. It's righteousness. It's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, He'll keep you high. He'll keep you happy. When I say high, you know I'm not talking about marijuana. I'm talking about the Lord's joy, the Lord's happiness. He he won't let you get down or despondent. If you are, His ministry is to lift you. Praise God. Glory to God. That's why when we take communion today, God wants you to be happy in your heart. God wants to lift you. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, I've sinned though. Well, if you sin, confess it, turn from it, tell the Lord you're sorry. And if there's, if it needs be, if you've hurt somebody else, maybe you need to 
apologize, repent. But as it is, just get, just get right with the Lord. Keep right on going. And the blood of Jesus washes all your sins away. But stay happy because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lift you up so that you walk in the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the juice and the bread. We bless it. This is now the blood and the body of Jesus. Father, when we, when we look at this, we see, we still see a little wafer. We still see grape juice, but we know by faith, this is the flesh and blood of Jesus. And we, we receive it as that. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the wisdom of your word. We thank you that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father God, that we're claiming all of your promises by faith. We give you praise. We thank you, Father. We now receive the body of Jesus. Amen. Let's partake together. Praise God. Father, as we receive the blood of Jesus, we thank you that we have right standing with you through what Jesus did at Calvary. We thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn right standing with you. He earned it for us at Calvary. And we put our faith and trust in him. And therefore we have right standing with you because we are in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let us be people of contagious faith, spreading faith everywhere we go amongst the body of Christ, building up our brothers and sisters in Christ and leading many to you. Father, we give you praise. We now drink and receive the holy blood of Christ our Savior. Let's drink together. Glory to God. I see you with the spirit of David on you, not the spirit of Saul of fear, but the spirit of David, the spirit of faith on you so that you might do exploits in the name of Jesus. Go forth. You are blessed. Stay blessed and build up others in Christ. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.